Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. Okay, it's uh, quarter of three. No one in the break room but the vending machine and me. The next decision I make will determine everything. Zagnut or Kit Kat? Zagnut or Kit Kat? Kit Kat. Who said that? It's me, girly. The vending machine. Specifically, the Rhino Selection Genie 4000. Greatest vending machine ever made. Get the Kit Kat, girly. The Zagnut gets stuck in my coils. Well, that makes me want the Zagnut even more. Damn it, it did get stuck. Nobody listens. Give me my Zagnut. Give it, give it, give it to me. Ow, safe word, safe word, safe word. You can't just say safe word. Well, we didn't set one up. I didn't know this was going to be 50 shades of snacks. Well, it's still stuck. Hey, girly. What? What if I told you there were better things in here than some stupid candy bar? What do you mean? I mean, come through the looking glass. Try a little thing I call girly in vending land. There's a world waiting for you inside me. I don't know. I'm really, I'm supposed to get back to work. Come meet the trans fats. Come meet the salts, the gluten. I got so much gluten. You have no idea what unhealthy stuff I've got for you, girly. Come with me and you'll be... In a world of pure hydrogenation. I don't know. What if it's weird? Then I'll let you right out. Now repeat after me. Cheese cracker with peanut butter. 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 Something's happening. You bet it is, girly. Oh my god. I'm inside the machine. Ugh, it is disgusting in here. You expect rats to poop right out in the open? Anyway, this is nothing. You should see the spigots on a coffee machine. Nobody ever cleans them. They got life forms that exist nowhere else. So now what happens? Just remember, in here, everything is a snack. From your mom and your dad to the spots on your back. Everything is a snack. Oh god, is this gonna be a musical? I wish. No, no, it would be truer to say you wish. Just wish for anything, and you'll get it, in the form of a snack. Really? Does the Pope eat Doritos? I assume the answer is yes. Okay, I wish for a Susan Campbell story. I guess I have to unwrap it. Okay, somebody just pressed the part of the machine that's asking for a reminiscence about vending machines. Uh, I think I can do that. Okay. Hello. Hi, Susan Campbell. Is this Susan Campbell? This is she. All right. So Susan, this is Susan Campbell. She's a professor, teacher at University of New Haven. Her new book is about Frog Hollow, stories of an American neighborhood. But that's not why um, I called you. I called you because we have a past. We have a shared past. Wait, which part are we going to talk about? <laughs> We're going to talk about the part that involves vending machines. <gasps> the one I'm proud of. The one you're proud of, the part you're very proud of. So I don't know, I don't know if we can pinpoint the year that this happened. It would have happened before 1994. 
I can't even come closer than that. No, I can't either. So we were, I do remember it. I don't. I didn't yeah. put it in my journal. <laughs> okay. So we were working together at the Hartford Current, and it was a languorous Friday afternoon. <laughs> it was one of those Friday afternoons where it didn't really make sense to start a new project. Or even be at work. Oh, yeah. But there was sort of some expectation that we would be at work. Right. Uh, and you were bored. Uh, and I can say just from years of experience that that's a fairly dangerous condition, <laughs> Susan Campbell board. There's a lot of, a lot of ways that can go, you know, <laughs> and this, yeah. so you decided, well, do you want to say what you decided or should I say it? You can, you can say it. And if you're incorrect, I will shout you down. Well, there was sort of a large vending machine. I think it was one floor down from where mm-hmm. our desks were. You had to go down this kind of dingy industrial stairwell to get to it. And it was one of those big vending machines with a glass front that, and then all of these, you know, pretty terrible things behind the glass. And you decided that you were, <laughs> were going to try to eat one of every one of them. And that's how I remember it, yes. <laughs> yeah. So... First of all, this required a great mustering of, I mean, I think a lot of us, you know, chipped change. in some spare change. We needed silver. I believe I might have been a single mother at the time, so I may have had to go to several <laughs> floors to collect the money. And and I don't know. Do you remember why? I mean, is there an oh, answer God. to the question why, or is it just ennui? You know, some people climb mountains, and um, <laughs> I work my way through a vending machine. Right. That's, I, I don't remember why. I just remember thinking, well, that'd be funny. Right. Which is a hillbilly's last famous last words. What's this? <laughs> so um, it's too bad that we didn't keep a better record. Somebody should have journaled this because everything is lost to history now. Like how many items? Yeah. It had to be 20, so 20 something, twenty at least twenty something. I remember there was like four or five per row. Yeah, and probably four or five rows. I mean, right. the chips took up more space. Yeah. That was up at the top, which was stupid because they would drop and crumble. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I worked my way over to the soda machine. I think I struck I stuck strictly with solids. Yeah, so this was <laughs> chips and candy, and there yep. might have been some sort of hostessy bakey kind of things. I don't know if hostess bakes anything, but I like do twink- remember. Yeah, the ones with the curly cue, the chocolate with the white icing curly cue, and I can't call to mind what it was, but yeah. uh, there were snowballs. I remember there were, there were snowballs. snowballs. So a snowball takes that up a lot tough. of space, yeah. and so I don't know. First of all, I, what I remember is I guess cutting to the end that you really did start to show some signs of profound regret. Dementia, yeah. <laughs> I remember really thinking about it as a goal yeah. to be reached and nothing's easy. All the hard things are worth it. And I, I think by the time I was on the third row, it was it was just, you know, sheer determination to reach my goal. Right. I mean, you looked kind of woozy. Yeah, you know? I was a little sick. Yeah. I remember that. And I mean, the other thing about this is it sort of is, and I think this very much fits the way you've lived your life, it um, was a violation of this fundamental idea of a vending machine. The vending machine is set up so that you can go get overcharged money for one thing one that you thing. want. Yeah. That's for lightweights, really, Colin. And when you think about it, what is the world but a big vending machine? My fear in this whole conversation is this will be in my obituary, won't it? Well, it was almost in your obituary that day. Uh, good point. I mean, the fact that we didn't, you didn't have to have your stomach pumped or anything is something of a, a, a tribute to your iron constitution. Yeah, I have a fairly strong stomach. Yeah. yeah. 
True. So I don't know, as you look back on this, and obviously it isn't really one of the highlights of your life or anything. It might like, well be. <laughs> I mean, are you glad you did it? Would you do it again? I mean, how do you feel about it? You know, when when first I heard this was going to be a conversation, <laughs> I was tempted um, to find a vending machine on campus, but people are very healthy now, yeah. and it's a lot of granola sawdust crunched into a bar, which right. does not interest me. But I would always be willing to try to do it again. Yeah. We're getting older, though. You know? We definitely are. And I would probably wake up in my own vomit <laughs> if I tried it. But I'd be willing, absolutely willing to try it. If you can collect the change, I'll try to eat it. Uh, all right. Well, it's good to know people don't change that much. Well, mm-hmm. Susan, Susan Gamble, this has been a lovely, halcyon, <laughs> little glowing afternoon Healing memory. kind of moment. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Susan Gamble, thank you for this. Thank you very much. Okay. I like that broad. She can eat my snacks anytime. Why does that sound dirty? Because it is. I got needs. I got drives. I'm all alone here. Maybe you noticed. I used to know a cute little gumball machine in St. Louis. And she, she really turned my knobs. I will not listen to that. Anyway, I still didn't have my Zagnut bar. I just wish I knew whether these snacks were healthy. You had to say it. Say what? Wish. Now here it comes. What is this? A dame I really do not like. She ruins everything. Ooh, let me hear more. So there was a request made uh, uh, to find out whether vending machines are even a good thing. Um, so, I, so I think we can probably do that. In fact, we have located Dr. Deborah Cohen, a senior physician, uh, policy research uh, at the Rand Corporation, and author of A Big Fat Crisis, The Hidden Influences Behind the Obesity Epidemic and How We Can End It. So I already think we, we probably know where the answer is going here, but let's find out. <laughs> so, so yes, I mean, I, I'm... Dr. Deborah Cohen, I mean, I, probably most people don't think of vending machines as a place where you can go and get healthy choices. On the other hand, they kind of pretend they are, right? You look through the glass there and things look like they, they might be healthy choices. Well, some of them are. I mean, if they have a package of nuts or if it's a, a refrigerated machine and there's a, a non-fat, uh, uh, no-sugar added yogurt, uh, that might be good for you. So, I mean, the weird thing is one of the places that we um, we run into vending machines is at work. And we're at work and we've kind of run out of food that we brought with us or we didn't bring anything with us. It's late in the day. Our blood sugar is kind of off a little bit. We just want something. You're craving something. Um, and that's probably a moment where you're less likely to make the good choice, right? Right, exactly. Uh, the problem with vending machines as I see it uh, in the workplace is that Uh, They're just a temptation. Many people want to control their weight and want to control their intake, but uh, when they're tired or stressed, uh, a vending machine can somehow uh, uh, respond to some need they have for some some comfort. And so uh, it fosters impulse buying, impulse eating, and uh, that's the reason why I was recommending they be removed from work sites. So so your your fundamental argument is don't have them in the workplace. I mean, uh, 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 elaborate on that. Say more about that. Well, uh, typically uh, people eat three meals a day. Uh, and if you're eating three meals a day, you're physiologically uh, not going to be hungry in between meals because when you fill up your stomach, uh, you're not going to start getting growls and you know feelings of low blood sugar for three to five hours. 
Well, I mean, that encompasses the whole workday. And so we, most of us don't need to snack between meals. Um, and if we do, we can know that and plan and bring our own snacks. But when you put food uh, in a place that's uh, easily accessible and salient, it can make people feel hungry when they don't need to eat. You know, people have the capacity to get excited and, and want to eat food just by seeing it. Is it, I mean, I guess another question would be, like a lot of the things that we have a vending machine is two floors down from where I am. I, I haven't looked at it in quite a long time, but I'm guessing you know, that I could look at it and there could be something in it that's been sitting in there since the last time I looked at it because everything's kind of loaded up with preservatives and, uh, you know, can sit there probably for years waiting for somebody to eat it if necessary. And I mean, if you're going to have vending machines, and part of the problem with putting healthy stuff in there is that like a carrot or something like that, it's, it, 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 you need to turn them around pretty fast, right? Right, right. Those kinds of foods are perishable. But we have to think about the whole context of the food environment and the obesity epidemic right now. I mean, you have about 70% of Americans who are overweight or obese right now. And the, the challenge is to get people to reduce how much they consume. And so reducing the convenience, the accessibility, the salience of food uh, is going to help people achieve healthier uh, weight and achieve their goals in, in health, reduce uh, chronic diseases. And so uh, the effort should be to change the food environment where we only think about food when we're hungry and not we feel hungry because we see food. Well, from your lips to the vending machine's uh, ears, uh, they don't really have ears, but Dr. Deborah Cohen, a senior physician policy researcher at the Rand Corporation, author of The Big Fat Crisis, The Hidden Influences Behind the Obesity Epidemic and How We Can End It. I guess the big takeaway here is, look, it's a machine. They're trying to sell you something at about four times its face value. It's probably got to be something that's pretty tempting. It's probably not going to be a red delicious apple. Yeah, unfortunately. Unfortunately. All right. Thanks for talking to us. Okay. Thanks for asking me. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Thank you, Debbie Downer. Cindy Lapa was wrong. Some girls just don't want to have fun. I think I need a break. Breaks are good. Have a break. Have a Kit Kat. No, not that kind of break. Just the radio kind. How come every time I get an apple, the machine is sold in mushy? Don't they ever put any new apples in this machine? Uh, yeah, they put new apples in that machine. Uh, but in order to get to the new apples, you have to eat the old apples first. Uh, but because the old apples are so old, very few people eat them. So by the time you get to the new apples, they're old apples. <laughs> so then all we gotta do is eat more apples. We'll eat right through the old ones and get to the new ones. Except that if we all start to eat the old apples and the apple man will think we like old apples, and he'll never put any new apples in the machine. So then how do we get new apples, John? We can't. Hi. Previously on Through the Vending Glass, Girly here was magically transported inside a vending machine. That would be me. Now I am granting her wishes. Sort of. Oh yeah? Well I wish there was bacon in this machine. Mmm, bacon. I gotta tell you up front, this is not exactly bacon. It's more like an idea of bacon. Alright, let's see. 
Oh, great. It's one of those packets you can't open. Use your teeth, girly. Yeah, there. Bacon? Did they just say bacon? I wouldn't think you could get bacon out of a vending machine, but let me go find out. Oh, wait a minute. Here's a Megan, Megan Winters, uh, agricultural communications major uh, at the Ohio State University and communications coordinator for the Ohio Pork Council, who, who actually did baconify a vending machine on the university campus. Hi, Megan. How are you? I'm good, Colin. How are you? Really good. So you, this is sort of your idea to promote Ohio pork. So explain, what, what, what did you do? Sure. So this was um, a really great group effort between me and my coworkers at the Ohio Pork Council. And so, you know, we were actually just sitting in the office one morning drinking coffee um, and trying to figure out a new and fun way to promote pork products uh, within the state of Ohio. So we thought, you know, why don't we have a bacon vending machine? Because those are sort of hard to come by, as you can imagine. So we took it upon ourselves to take an ordinary vending machine and bake and buy it, if you will. Um, and so we decided to launch that on Ohio State's campus during final season. So how did this work? I mean, I don't picture bacon as something that I could easily have dispensed. Was this sort of sort of heat and eat bacon or what kind of bacon was it? All of the bacon in the bacon vending machine is actually shelf stable and ready to eat. This was just an ordinary vending machine that we, um, you know, we had to take out some parts and pieces and do a lot of trial and error to make sure that that bacon fit within the coils of the vending machine, fit within the rows, um, but it definitely worked out to benefit all of those who visited the machine, we had to get numerous different shipments of bacon in because the demand was so high. All of the money that was raised during its time on campus was donated back to the meat science program because they are such a great partner uh, to our organization. And so we wanted to give back to the students and give back to the university as well. So I'm also picturing that there was probably kind of a chain effect here. I'm imagining myself back when I was a college student, I'm cramming for my final exams, I'm working hard, and, and, uh, and somebody else buys bacon from your machine. I assume this is bacon that it's shelf stable, but you're probably going to stick it in the microwave oven just to heat it up or whatever, at which point the atmosphere is suffused with the smell of bacon, which essentially almost no human being can resist. So, I mean, once one person gets it, like everybody's going to want it, right? It was really quite funny. You walked into the lobby of the animal sciences building and you saw, like you said, students kind of cramming for finals and shoving bacon in their mouths. And it was really just a great scene to be a part of, to be honest. So, so it was really, really popular. And you wound up, like, as you say, it was hard to keep the machine stocked. You had to keep uh, getting more and more of this shelf-stable bacon. So I don't know, why isn't this a thing? I mean, you did this kind of as an experiment and maybe as a way of kind of promoting bacon and uh, as if bacon needs any help uh, getting people to eat it. But um, I don't know. I mean, could this be a thing? You're not doing it anymore, right? Is the experiment over? So the experiment's definitely not over. Uh, The bacon vending machine still definitely holds a lot of promise, Mm -hmm. and I think that it has 
uh, definitely has a bright future, and you never know where you might see it pop up. So usually with a vending machine, you know, I mean, when something really becomes a vending machine item, the vending machine company is asking itself the question, how much more could we charge for this product than somebody would typically pay for it in a store because we're essentially offering them the chance to buy it out of this machine, which is someplace very convenient for them, either where they're studying or in their workplace or whatever. I mean, that's kind of how vending machines work, right? I mean, you sort of figure out, well, yeah, I could probably get somebody to pay $1.25 for a candy bar or whatever. So, but with this thing, I'm assuming because it was part of a kind of promotional concept, the, the bacon was pretty reasonably priced? Yes, yes. So all of the bacon was actually available for just a dollar. We were very fortunate to have the support of three sponsors. So Smithfield, Sugardale, and Hormel all donated the product within the bacon vending machine. So how much bacon did you get for a dollar? Did did a person get for a dollar? For a dollar, you could get a pack of bacon strips, uh, which I believe holds about a dozen strips of bacon. Or you could get a standard-sized pouch of bacon bits. Um, And there were a couple different flavors of bacon bits. There was cherry wood, pecan wood. And then that's just the, you know, traditional smoked bacon bits that you can get in the grocery store as well. So I'm thinking down the road, you know, you could charge a lot more money than that or offer a lot fewer strips. This is sort of something that you were doing to celebrate bacon. But once it it gets into the, you know, the vending machine industry and the price point is more scientifically calculated, you know, somebody's going to make a lot of money doing this. So I'm just I'm observing that. I'm not suggesting you quit your current job and do that, Megan. I'm just saying <laughs> there's probably gold in them there, pigs. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences with us. Megan Winters, uh, communications coordinator for the Ohio Pork Council. Thanks for talking to me. Yeah, thanks, Colin. It's been a pleasure. I could go for a BLT right now. Bacon, lettuce, and tomato. I was thinking Butterfinger, licorice, and Tootsie Roll, but your thing sounds okay, too. Bacon, lettuce, tomato, and a... Beer. Oh, I wish vending machines had beer. You said that word again. I did, didn't I? Oh, where am I? What am I talking about? Oh, yes, we're, we're going to talk. We're going to be talking about beer. Could beer come out of machines? Not exactly vending machines, but something pretty close to that. We're going to talk to David Arconti, Democratic State Representative for Danbury's 109th District. Uh, There's a bill in the legislature, uh, and uh, it would legalize a kind of self-serve alcoholic liquid machine in Connecticut. Uh, David Arconti, tell us about this bill, about this concept. Yeah, thanks, Colin. Thanks for having me. So uh, I got the idea for the concept a few years ago. Um, from a local Danbury, you know, entrepreneurial type, he owns a piece of property downtown, and him and the director of City Center Danbury reached out because uh, Manny wanted to uh, create a new business downtown, but he wanted to, you know, frame it around this sort of technology, a beer garden. Um, but we currently have regs uh, right now under the Department of Consumer Protection that prohibits uh, self-serve people from self-serving themselves uh, beer. So I introduced a bill um, starting in 2017. So it's been a work in progress since then, but essentially it would uh, ask DCP to rewrite the regs in their statutes to allow for this 
technology to happen in, in the state. What we're talking about here is, first of all, uh, probably something that's in, in particular of interest to people who enjoy craft beer, who enjoy going to a place and maybe sampling several different kinds of craft beer uh, over the course uh, of a night. So it, it would be self-service, but it wouldn't be... I mean, in Japan, for example, you can buy a beer out of a vending machine. In Japan, you can buy anything out of a vending machine. Th- this is not that. That is so, no. so how would this work? So this is not that. So the, the, the bill allows only allows a permittee that's only allowed to sell alcohol for on-site consumption. So a package store, nothing like that can have something like this. Only a, a restaurant or bar that can serve for on-site consumption. So you would go, you would get ID'd from uh, a, bar, a bartender or an employee of the restaurant. Um, then you'd be given a little bracelet or a card with a chip in it that can be used on the machines. Um, and you can you paid by the ounce, so you can pour a couple ounces of a brand that you want to try, and if you like it, you can commit yourself to a whole glass. But the card is only, is restrictive to 32 ounces, so that's essentially just two craft beers. Mm-hmm. And once if you use up all those 32 ounces, the card shuts off, and then you have to go back to the bartender. At that time, you can pay your tab. Or you can re-up the card for more ounces, but that's the opportunity for an employee to check for sobriety. Yeah, so and 30, not, 32 ounces is two pints, so that's a pretty good time to check somebody, too, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and it's, it's in model legislation that other states have done. So what... What's the argument for? In other words, you know, I mean, right now you can go to a craft beer place and get craft beers and a bartender draws them for you. What's what's the upside or what's the win here, I guess, is what I'm asking. So it, it exposes patrons to a multiple of different types of brands of craft beer and allows the craft beer industry to expose more patrons to their different types of brands. So you could have a place that has 40 of these self-serve dispensers lined up on a wall with all different types of craft beer, which is good for the industry and I think is a good is good for the patron as well. And, and so, I mean, I guess people who might be concerned about this, well, let's start with bartenders. Uh, bartenders serve you beers at the end of the evening. You give them a tip. Um, would, uh, I don't know. Does this kind of cut into their action somehow? In other states, I haven't seen this cut into their bartenders' action. The people who I've talked to who've operated these, these machines say they end up hiring more people for their restaurant because, one, they have – it's an interactive experience. So they'll have somebody at the machines explaining – you know, one, how they work uh, to help people work the logistics of it and also explain where the different brands come from. So this, in my mind, is is also a job creator, not something that's going to hurt a certain sector. And so, I mean, how's this going? You said 2017 is kind of when you got going. It does often take a while to get um, a a bill passed. This whole area of liquor control uh, Mm -hmm. is is an area where people kind of get jumpy uh, about change or anything that feels like loosening. So, so, I I mean, how's the conversation going about that? It's, It's going better. So I've gotten it out of the House both in 2017 and 2018 on really strong bipartisan votes. I think in both years, the total number of no votes on each vote was under 25. So um, they're trying to really nail home the safeguards that are in place that prevent overconsumption. Um, the fact that there's a digital log that is you know, created when you're buying these ounces, so it shows how much you've consumed. I'm um, trying to kind of get that 
home uh, with my friends in the upper chamber. And we're not, we're not trying to do something new either. 43 other states allow for this to happen. 43 other states uh, have it. Probably one of these days uh, we will too. As you say, that's kind of the way Connecticut works. David Arconti, thank you so much for talking to me. Thanks, Kyle. Appreciate it. Democratic State Representative for Danbury's 109th, the mighty 109th uh, district, the foamy 109th district, uh, David Arconti. That don't sound so bad. I could see myself switching to craft beer. How horrible could hipsters be? You have no idea. It's time for another radio break. Okay. When we come back, I'll do the thing where I tell you you can never leave here. What? I'm more vulnerable, it seems, outside the vending machine. Love from a vending machine. something they want me to read here. Today's show was produced by Scott Breedy, with help from senior producer Betsy Kaplan, who thinks vending machines should dispense toothbrushes. And also by Kion Wolf. That's you, girly. The part of Bill Curry was played by James Gandolfini. On tomorrow's show, The Nose discusses Barry on HBO. And now, back to the snacks. What was that thing you said about how I can never leave? Just messing with you. But I do get lonely. I've been sitting in this windowless break room since 2007. The guy who loads me doesn't talk much, so I got no clue what's happening. I assume Michael Jackson is still the king of pop? Wow. No. Peter Frampton took over. I knew he was gonna. I wish we could get back to exploring the potential of vending machines to sell more than just snacks. The W word, girly. Sorry. So there's a lot of things you can do with vending machines. And a couple of years ago, uh, out in California, of course, uh, UC Santa Barbara and UC Davis uh, installed what they called wellness machines that sold a, gen- sold a generic version of Plan B, as well as pregnancy tests, feminine hygiene products, Advil, Claritin, stuff like that. Um, Brandeis has, now has a similar machine. So some students at Yale thought, well, why not here? This sounds like a pretty good idea. I'm talking right now to Ileana Valdez, a Yale College Council senator, spearheading efforts to make uh, exactly such a thing happen. Except that, Ileana, uh, I guess you found out that Connecticut's a little different from California in more ways than one. Yes, I did. So we actually use the same company that installed the wellness machine in Stanford called Vengo, um, except... Right before we were going to install it here, we found that it's actually illegal to sell any type of medication out of a vending machine. Right. Even over-the-counter medication, right? Even over-the-counter medications, right. So let's talk a little bit about why, if we didn't have this silly rule, why this would make some sense. Um, It seems to me, well, it seems to me, actually, you could probably do a better job of articulating it than I can. Uh, Obviously, uh, Plan B is something uh, people need in certain situations. And I guess, you know, also... And a lot of Yale students don't have cars. It might not, not might not be that easy to get to some place where you could buy it. Right. So we built new residential colleges that are about a mile, sometimes a little more away than um, a mile from CVS. And we do have Plan B accessible and free at our student health center. But it used to be before we started this project that you had to go in for a full checkup um, before they were allowed to dispense Plan B to you. Mm -hmm. So that could be stressful for people who just wanted to get that in the moment, especially 
when they're dealing with something that could be so life-changing. Right. So that's changed a, a, a little bit now? Yes. Yeah, so since we started this project, um, we actually worked with Yale Health because we couldn't get a vending machine um, to reduce the number of barriers that people have when getting Plan B from there. So now all you have to do is ask for it and they'll give it to you. One possible way that you could avoid needing Plan B, at least under certain circumstances, would be if you could get condoms out of a vending machine. I assume that's possible somewhere at Yale. Right. So right now, we actually provide free condoms to all students. Mm -hmm. But the goal is to have some more brand name, high quality condoms sold in the vending machine that we plan to install by the end of the school year. So you are going to do some kind of wellness vending machine? Yes, that's the goal. Given all the crazy rules in Connecticut, what, what can it have in it? Yeah, so, I mean, it can still have things like pregnancy tests, which are still really hard to access. Mm -hmm. um, better forms of condoms and lube. It can have things like basic toiletries that people might need. But the goal here is still sexual health. So pregnancy tests is probably the biggest thing that would happen. Yeah. So where's that machine going to be? That machine will be in Bass Library. Okay. Uh, I guess, you know, I don't know how to exactly wind up this conversation. I guess one of the things that you learned, everything's a learning experience, right? And you're, right. Pr you're probably not from Connecticut originally. Where do you come from? Where's your home state? I'm from Texas. All right. So I don't know what the rules are in Texas. Maybe you don't even know what the rules are in Texas yet. But it, it is at least true. One of the things you find out is, you know, every state has its own weird ideas about over-the-counter medicine, vending machines, stuff like that. I guess it may, I guess one of the learning, part of the learning curve is check the regulations first? Right, definitely. And do you, are you making any effort or is anybody making any effort to get those regulations changed? I mean, it seems like it would sort of make sense uh, for students to have access to this. I mean, if it's a legal over-the-counter medication, it seems kind of crazy you can't get it in a vending machine. Yeah, so we actually have this group called Rally that had been working with um, the Yale College Council to kind of start this project. And I think that they're going ahead with working on lobbying efforts for All this. Right. Well, actually, getting the state legislature to do anything is also a very good learning experience. But maybe, right. maybe not a particularly encouraging learning experience, but a good one. Well, Ileana Valdez, thank you so much for talking to me. Yeah, definitely. So Ileana Valdez is a Yale College Council Senator spearheading efforts to make emergency contraceptives available to students 24-7. It was going to be through a vending machine. It's going to have to be a different way. All right. Well, enjoy the rest of your Yale career. Thank you. Have a good one. Okay. Bye-bye. No chance I'm going to do that. I'm a vending machine, Jim, not a doctor. If you lived in Japan, you'd be vending all kinds of things. I wish. You said it this time. I did, didn't I? For those of you who have ever traveled in Japan, actually for those of you who have never traveled in Japan, you know, when I was there, it seemed to me that there were several rules that you could discern, you could intuit. One of them was uh, if you can automate something, you should. You should never be more than, I'd say, three and a half minutes from noodles. Like noodle, if, you've, if you can't get noodles in three and a half minutes, there's something very wrong with the universe. And if something can be sold from a vending machine, it will be sold from a vending machine. Uh, and maybe even things that just would never occur to you to sell from a vending machine or never occur to you to want will be sold from a vending machine. There are 5.5 million or more vending machines in Japan. And so Tanner Greenring, uh, head of community uh, and quizzes at BuzzFeed, uh, co-wrote an article where they, they went over to Japan in 2017 and tried all 5.5 million vending machines. It's very exhaustive uh, research. No, not quite, actually, but first of all, hi, Tanner. Hello. So you did try to buy as many interesting and 
occasionally frightening things from vending machines, and then kind of because this is BuzzFeed, you at some point had to rank them. Yep. So. Exactly. So I, we're not going to go through the whole ranking process. I mean, we can we will direct people to the uh, appropriate website. But it starts it it starts with carrots and sauce, which I think come out of the machine warm, don't they? Yeah, there's a surprising amount of food that comes out of these machines warm. And and so I mean, which I don't think you know we even know how to do that in this country. I've never gotten anything warm out of a vending machine. Have you? We don't have that kind of technology here yet. No, I mean it, it's one of the many ways we're lagging behind. So the, the carrots and sauce did not please you. I mean, we should say these things come with like a a ring to, ring style zip top. So there's no waiting. I mean, if you really want to get the into the carrots and sauce while they're warm, you can just plunge right in. But these did not bring you joy. No, 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 no. They were not very good. It was just hot carrots and kind of a, a sweet, <laughs> sticky sauce. But it is a complete meal. So if you're looking for like carrots on the run, it, it is a good way to go. Right. If you have some, you know, acute vitamin deficiency, you need to address immediately. Yeah, so, exactly. So I have to ask about the one that I'm sure everybody finds most puzzling, which is used ladies' underpants. Yes. That was um, puzzling to us as well. We we ended up in the largest adult goods store in all of Tokyo, and sure enough, in the basement, there was a whole wall of these vending machines that just spit out women's underwear, used women's underwear. Right. I think spit out is a lovely way to put it, too. But um, <laughs> yeah, and I don't know. I mean, this is family public radio. I guess we can't really go too too far with this, but... So, I mean, it wasn't that, like, if you just, you know, need some underwear and you don't mind if they're used. This is more, there's some purported, imaginary, putative thrill attached, probably, to getting these underpants for a certain kind of person. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think for for a certain kind of person, this is a a very uh, titillating experience. It, It was not for us. We were a little put off by it, but... You know, I'm not here to yuck any yums. No, and I, it, the the, uh, the visual accompaniment to your piece. I mean, most of the uh, most of the effort seems to be concentrated on safely disposing of yeah. the used underpants with minimal contact with them. Yeah, we did have to touch them, but neither of us was very thrilled about that. So, yeah, it was more of a hazmat situation than, yeah, you exactly. know, I think anything else. And, and it really is true. You can get toys. You can get all kinds of stuff. So you got some green earbuds that pleased you momentarily. But then, well, explain what happened then. Yeah, there was this mystery machine that you, you would put your yen into it and it would just give you a random prize. Um, And we got all sorts of fun stuff out of it. But one of it was these green earbud headphones. And the moment they came out of the the machine, these two Japanese men came up to us and explained that they were like content creators for something like YouTube. And it was one of their birthdays. And they were trying to, during the course of the day, over the course of the day, trade up from, I think, like a, you know, small piece of candy to a Lamborghini. So we graciously gave away our green earbuds to them so that they could, you know, continue on their journey to their Lamborghini by the end of the day. Well, you know, you want to be part of somebody's quest. And and so it is. I mean, you got a camouflage watch. People don't people in this country don't understand that you could get like a watch that would be invisible in the jungle from a vending machine. <laughs> yep. Yeah, all sorts of toys, all sorts of, and they're they're kind of everywhere, you know. So it's like if you've got a, a loud, rambunctious kid, you can just pop over to the the train, the toy train vending machine, and get him a little toy train to keep him quiet for a little while. You you wind up being very made very happy by a brand called Papa Beards, 
Yeah, Beard Papa. Beard Papa. Papa. Beard Papa. Puff. Yeah. So, yeah, it was Cream Puff Soda. Is that what it was? Yeah. So this was a chain of um, Cream Puff shops around Japan that's, you know, sold Cream Puffs that are very beloved in Japan. But then we also discovered a vending machine near one of the, the Cream Puff stalls that sold Cream Puff Soda, which yeah. was surprisingly good. And a warm uh, warm corn chowder to go with it, too, right? Yeah, and the warm corn chowder was also surprisingly good. So you guys eventually had a long day, and you, you got toys, and you uh, strange soupy things, and things that are actually somewhat difficult to describe. I mean, if you're going to eat in Japan, I, w- I, I was last there in 2009, but it seems to me that you have to reconcile yourself to a certain amount of gelatinousness. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if, if you're going to make that a deal breaker... Uh, you're going to have some, you know, you're going to have some problems because you're going to be yeah. invited to eat gelatinous things, right? Yeah, well, I was there with a vegan, which presented a whole other <laughs> set of issues. So, I don't know. when I, I, Now it's time for the big takeaway, Tanner. So, there, I guess the big takeaway is, I mean, it does, when you come back to the United States, it does feel as though... We're underperforming a little bit in the vending machine world. Yeah, I mean, it, it just makes life so much easier, especially, you know, as, as two foreigners who don't speak any Japanese, like being able to kind of live your lives out of these vending machines is just like, <laughs> it made things so convenient and so easy, you know. It does take a little bit of the, the human element out of modern society, but, you know, that's that's a fair price to pay for convenience. Or it just seems as though you, somewhere in the United States you should be able to walk up to a vending machine and not and not find used women's underpants. We don't want that. We we do want to be surprised a little bit, and we never are, right? Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, Tanner Greenring, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this yeah, piece was you. written for BuzzFeed. Uh, you can still find it on BuzzFeed, obviously. It's about a 2017 trip to Tokyo and relying very heavily on vending machines. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. I just realized something. You're a person trapped in a vending machine but we're both trapped inside a public radio show episode. Yeah, which can probably never end until they do one of those things about changing market trends and the future of the industry, yada yada. Blah, blah, woof, woof. We We wish for one one of those things about changing market trends and the future of the industry, yada yada, blah, blah, woof, woof. Wow, I'm just exhausted. Whoever is controlling the reality of this show has really thrown a lot of topics at me. But I think it's, it is time to, to talk about just the state of the business right now. And, and who better to talk to than the editor of Vending Market Watch, Emily Reformat. Uh, she joins us now. Hi, Emily. Colin. So um, I guess maybe the first thing to, to say is that in your world, there is something of a division between a vending machine and what is called a micro market. Explain to us what a micro market is. So a micro market is fairly uh, a new segment of the industry where instead of the vending machine in the same place, a break area or somewhere you'd have some shelving or and coolers that you might see in a convenience store. Mm-hmm. And then there's a self-checkout kiosk on one end. So employees can go in, choose the products that they want, scan it at the kiosk, and then pay, and then leave. So you're going to get a Um, slightly different product there, maybe something a little bit more elaborate? Oh, absolutely. Because only certain products will fit inside of a vending machine. They have to be dispensable in a certain product size to fit in those spirals. So you get a lot more variety in a micromarket. A vending machine, depending on how it's configured, can hold maybe 30-some products. A micromarket... Much, much more. I mean, 30 products can be, you know, in one display area. And if you have multiple display areas, 
that's just that ends up being hundreds of different SKUs mm. that are available to in a micromarket, especially fresh food. It works really well for because consumers or employees can walk in, open the cooler, check out the salad, check out the sandwich, turn it over, read the ingredient labels, and decide from there whether they want it. It's mm. something they've never been able to do with vending machines. No, with the vending machine, when you obtain the item, that's when you can handle it and learn exactly. more about it. So uh, You already have to pay for it. Right. There's no turning back. I actually, I really want to get a micro market for where we work here because where yeah. we work here, I mean, we have, you know, your standard vending machine and we live in, we work in kind of a food desert. The only place that you can get food around here, you can walk over to the hospital and get food, which is sort of, I don't oh, know, that's wow. kind of a mixed pleasure. So I think we're mm-hmm. ripe for, so I'm like a micro market. It wouldn't take up that much more space than a vending machine, right? It's a little bit bigger. It's a little bit bigger. Uh, you know, they're depending on size, but what really makes a micromarket work is uh, number of employees. Right. So they, the industry is playing with that number, but like 200 employees, 250 is a really good number, that or more for a micromarket. All right. I think we're, we might be close to that. I have no idea how many people work here. So, exactly. you know, we've talked elsewhere about sort of healthy items and stuff like that. And obviously healthy is also a word that is defined differently by different people. But in terms of things that we, a reasonable person might regard as healthy, I mean, how big a percent of the market is that? It's rather small. Partly people's perception of vending machines a lot of people, it will, they'll ask for healthy items, but they just won't buy them. Um, the price point is usually higher on healthy items. Um, they cost more from the, the grocery store and then the very active, the vending operator bringing the product to the consumer rather than the consumer going you know, to a different location to go get it, you know, incurs a little bit of that convenience fee. So the price is even higher. So oftentimes consumers are looking between these two products, these traditional fare in vending machines, and then the more expensive, quote-unquote, healthy item, which to them may or may not be healthy. I mean, baked chips are very healthy to some people, but maybe to someone else it's, it's you know, they're looking for that salad or a, a more protein-packed bar right. that's going to be like $3 price point, which is pretty high for yeah. something that you want to buy out of a vending machine. Right. I think a baked potato chip is, you know, somebody's way of kind of consoling him or herself that you haven't yep. eaten a fried potato chip, but I don't know if it's really, if we could really call it healthy. I agree. I agree. But, you know, the baked the chips sell better because that's what people are doing. Right. I mean, I don't think when you or I think about a healthy snack, or, or maybe most people, I think part of the problem is we don't think, oh, I should go look in the vending machine. <laughs> right. If I wanted an <laughs> apple, you know? I'd go get an apple. You know, I'm here in front of the vending machine to get M&Ms. Um, and of course... That apple you just mentioned, I yeah. mean, that has a very short shelf life to yep. M&M's compared to M&M's. You know, so again, sitting in that machine, plus you'd probably be skeptical. If you saw that apple, you'd be you'd be worried about how long it was there. Is it good? Is it good to be mushy? So um, we should talk about some of the innovations that there are. And, and we've talked to a lot of people. We've talked to people who are selling bacon out of vending machines. But there's some things that we didn't talk about, although uh, one of our interns did go up and see uh, to the north of us a fresh orange juice machine, which sounds very appealing. I mean, I guess it sort of squeezes the oranges right there. Is that that sort of part of one of the innovations in the industry? You know, I actually saw that machine a few years ago, or I don't know if it was that particular maker at a trade show. So I don't consider it fairly new. It's not something you see very often in the U.S. Mm -hmm. for a variety of reasons. Certainly it's, it's getting the fresh product 
you know, depending on where you live in the U.S., whether oranges are really, you know, that cheap to grow and, and bring over. And oftentimes you won't see orange juice vending machines or there's new pizza vending machines. These vending machines that create one product mm-hmm. because the operator, they're very expensive and the market for that one product really has to be huge. I mean, how many glasses of orange juice can you drink in a day, you know, even if it is freshly squeezed? All right. So um, the last thing I wanted to ask you about is, uh, you know, you, you know the people in your industry. You, you write for the people and you publish for the people who, who work in your industry. Uh, obviously, one of the trends in this country is the legalization of marijuana and cannabis uh, mm-hmm. pro- products. Um, could you ever imagine a day where that is sold in a vending machine? Well, I've read lots of news articles about it being sold in those vending machines. But with my readers, no. I don't see them taking any kind of risks that uh, they would be liable. You know, if they, they sold a, a CBD-enhanced cold brew can, you know, out of uh, a micromarket or a vending machine, somebody drinks it and then has an accident, and there's this whole argument about whether, you know, it really was THC free or, you know, whether it caused the accident. I just don't see them doing it. It's still federally illegal. Um, so I don't think vending operators anytime soon will be adding those kinds of products. Yeah, probably not. Although usually after people do use cannabis products, the next thing they want is snacks. So you can sort of see a cycle setting itself <laughs> up there, you know? Uh, ah, see? So you're a forward-thinking person trying to help them sell more. All right. I... Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, look, the, 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 you'd have to, you know, quadruple the number of Doritos you're, you're stocking right now. Uh, all right. Well, this has been really terrific, and this is sort of gives us a, a, a chance to sort of think overall about vending machines. So it's been such a joy to talk to you, uh, Emily Ruffermat, uh, editor of Vending Market Watch. Thanks for being with us. Thank you very much. All right, it's it's time for me to go. I know. I think I'll miss you most of all. Technically, you didn't meet anybody else, but I appreciate the sentiment. I wish I could stay. I wish you could too, girly. But it doesn't take much to see that the problems of a person and a vending machine don't amount to a hill of M&Ms in this crazy world. Here's burping at you, kid. We kind of lost track of the Alice in Wonderland motif, didn't we? Hearts full of passion, jealousy and hate Woman needs man, and man must have his mate That no one can deny It's still the same old story A fight for love and glory A case of do or die The world will always welcome lovers As time goes by